in verse 11. I told you the other night uh, that you were going to have to endure, not endure, but that we were going to do some teaching tonight. Uh, and I am going to time myself just because I need to be diligent about that. Um, so this is part of my current college course, but it's going to be beneficial to us all. And Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Everybody say a sound. From heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Tonight we are going to talk about a subject that sounds really daunting. It sounds like, man, where is Pastor going? What is he talking about tonight? It's going to sound unfamiliar, but it's not as unfamiliar to you as you might think it is at first. Tonight we're going to talk about pneumatology. Okay? Pneumatology. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your word that is forever settled in heaven. God, we thank you for all that you have done and all that you are doing. God, I pray, Lord, that you would move in a mighty way tonight, your wonders to perform. God, I pray that your word would continue to move forward, that it would not return void. But God, that your will would be accomplished tonight in this place. In this place. Why don't we clap our hands tonight unto him? Thank you, Jesus. 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 You can be seated. I want to encourage everyone who has decided to study the Word of God, to advance your knowledge, to grow as a child of God. Uh, I want to encourage you. Was yesterday, was at an appointment in Fort Wayne. And the gentleman and his mother-in-law with whom I was meeting, uh, and his father-in-law was there as well. When I pulled up to the house, I saw in the back of the vehicle a bumper sticker. Two of them, actually. One said Louisville Cardinals. The other one said Asbury University. And so, immediately my mind started rolling, Sister Blaze, of if there's a door here that opens, I'm walking through it. If it cracks, I'll kick it in. And so, went through the process and talking about things and come to find out the gentleman that I was meeting with 
is a youth pastor. He's been a youth pastor. The Lord help him for 40, or I'm sorry, 34 years. Um, he's connected to uh, Huntington University. He's connected to a church here in Huntington as well as the one that he serves in Fort Wayne. And I just happened to know that there was a group of students and faculty that went to Asbury University from Huntington University to experience the revival. And through the process of conversation, this gentleman told me, he said, you know, uh, he said, my in-laws were both graduates of Asbury University. I said, oh, that's great. And they, I was wearing my CLT hat. That's why you got you to gotta buy a Christian Life Tabernacle hat. Because his mother-in-law looked at me and said, where's, where's Christian Life Tabernacle? So I told her, and I began to explain to them that I, I pastored church, and they were both excited. Man, that's cool. That's awesome. Where's that at? So I began to tell him. And he said, well, are you guys independent? I said, well, the church, I said, we're apostolic Pentecostal. So the church isn't affiliated with an organization, but I am, blah, 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 and I'm going through all of this stuff. He said, oh, apostolic Pentecostal. He said, I grew up Assemblies of God. I said, man, have you read Cecil Robeck Jr.'s book about Azusa Street? Cecil Robeck Jr. is a higher up in the Assemblies of God. He said, no, I haven't. I said, man, you need to read that. He said, you know, we've been talking a lot lately about Azusa Street. And I said, the door is cracked. I said, man, I'm telling you right now, we are excited about what's going on in the world. I said, I'm so excited about people that are seeking after the Holy Ghost. I said, we experience it all the time. I said, but man, we are so thankful that people are getting hungry, that people are getting excited and they're digging and they want to know. I'm, I'm excited that people are talking about Azusa Street. I'm excited that people are talking about Pentecost. And I'm excited tonight that we're talking about pneumatology. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. And if you can't tell, my voice is feeling a lot better. And I came tonight to teach a little 45-minute Bible study so I can write a report about it for school as well as help you get some more knowledge. But I just might preach tonight. So, you just hang on. Acts 2.4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We heard in the previous verses that it was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It was not a sound from the earth. It was not a sound that originated under the earth. It was not a sound that originated in the hearts of men and women. But it was a sound from heaven. And the sound from heaven created a, a, a reaction. It created a response upon the individuals that it touched. So when we read Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, we read the word Holy Ghost. And then in the second line, we read the word Spirit. Now, if we were reading those in the Greek, we would read a word that is spelled P-N-E-U-M-A. In the English, according to English grammar, the P must be silent. The Greeks don't care about English grammar. So if you were reading it in Greek, it would be panuma. But in English, it is pneuma or pneuma. 
it is defined as the wind or wind or spirit. It's used to indicate wind, breath, or spirit. So in the title of this lesson tonight, you see that word, the pneuma or pneuma. In English, it's pneuma. In Greek, it's pneuma. But when we put it all together, the word pneumatology is the combination of two Greek words. Pneuma, meaning spirit, wind, or breath. Well, let me just pause and say whose spirit, wind, or breath was it? It was not the Apostle Peter's spirit, wind, or breath. There is a Hebrew word that is a, a counterpart uh, or synonymous with the Greek word, and the Hebrew word is ruach. And you see that in the book of Genesis, that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The ruach, the wind, the breath, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And what happened? Life was generated. Life was generated when the Spirit of God moved and God began to speak. And so here in the Greek, we see a similar definition with pneuma. So it's pneuma and logia, meaning sayings, oracles, or message. And so tonight we're talking about pneumatology. It could easily be defined as the study of the Holy Spirit. So, like I said, it's not so far removed as Spirit-filled believers. If you've got the gift of the Holy Ghost, like the Bible says, you already practice pneumatology. You have already been exposed to pneumatology. So, Pastor, why are you teaching this tonight? Because I want us to be able to put feet to our knowledge. So, pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is no way in, in the world that we could cram everything there is to know about the Holy Ghost into 45 minutes or even 45 lessons. In fact, the apostle said if all the books that could be written were written, the world couldn't even contain them. So just we're going to hit some high points tonight. We find various descriptions and symbols of the Holy Ghost in Scripture. We hear, we hear the Holy Ghost referred to as the Spirit of Christ, the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Promise, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Grace, the spirit of life, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of God. Sometimes it's just called the spirit. Sometimes it's referred to as that one spirit. We see it symbolized in Scripture by fire, by wind, by water, or by a dove. Sometimes it's even denoted as a seal, not the animal seal but as the mark, as a mark placed upon the lives of the Spirit-filled believer that seals that person, marking them, identifying them as the property of God, a child of God. So, as we begin to talk about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, as, as we see it in Acts chapter 2, the infilling of the Holy Ghost did not come sporadically. It did not come anonymously. It wasn't like one day they just said, oh, surprise, here's the Holy Ghost. It was announced. It was not the Holy Ghost 
the Spirit of God was not introduced for the first time on the day of Pentecost. In fact, the Holy Ghost was not introduced for the first time in the New Testament. But it's, it's an idea. It's the Spirit of God revealed. It was part of the revealing of, of God's self. And it started not in the New Testament, but you noticed in our opening text, our opening text was from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 11. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said this is the rest. Every time I get in the Spirit, it's like a Sabbath. Every time. That's why somebody said, well, Pastor, should we still practice the Sabbath? Well, if you can find a day where you can chill out and not do much, more power to you. But for those who may not be able to, you can find your rest when you get in the presence of God. You get in the Spirit of God. And the Old Testament prophet said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. How many people have we shared this with that just refused to hear? Now, let me encourage you. Just because some refuse to hear does not mean this isn't real. Because they close their ears, because they shut down, because they refuse, does not mean that it's not possible. Does not mean that God's not able. For hundreds of years, people have said, well, that died with the apostles. Just because they believe that doesn't mean that it's true. Obviously, how many of us in this place have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost? So the Holy Ghost was repeatedly, repeatedly prophesied of by the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 15. Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. Listen to what happens when the Spirit is poured out. And the wilderness be a fruitful field. And the fruitful field be counted for a forest. There's something that begins to happen when we begin to experience the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Isaiah 44 in verse 3, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Remember the descriptions? Water, fire, wind, a dove, a seal. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. It's not just for me. It's for my children. It's for my home. It's for my workplace. It's for everything that I touch. I just get excited when I talk about the Holy Ghost. Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 19. And I will give them one heart. Notice there's an exchange. You have a heart. Elsewhere in Scripture, he said, I'll pull out the heart of stone and I'll give them a heart of flesh. 
I'll give them one heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. Here it is. I'll take the stony heart out of their flesh. I'll give them a heart of flesh. I'll make an exchange. I'll make an exchange. Well, I just don't know if I want God meddling. Floods upon dry ground, pouring his spirit out upon the seed, and blessing upon his offspring. Why would you not want that? Oftentimes we ask, hey, how many of us want to be blessed? How many of us want to be blessed? Well, blessing isn't always financial. Blessing can be financial, and we love financial blessings. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody said, Pastor, I bought a lottery ticket. What do I do if I win? I said, you give your tithe and offering and don't do it again. The devil's had the money long enough. Stop it. Don't do it again. We love financial blessings. But real blessings don't start with a fat bank account. Real blessings start when I enter into his presence. And then his presence enters into me. We're studying the Holy Spirit tonight. And I'm just here to tell you that you can still have it. You can still have it. It's transformative. I'm getting ahead of myself. There is a scripture. It's one of the most widely recognized prophetic utterances of the Old Testament. And it re is regarding the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It can be found in the book of Joel. And Joel spoke under the unction of the Holy Ghost's empowerment when he said, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens. In those days will I pour out my spirit. This, this scripture, this verse is speaking clearly to us of the future outpouring of the Holy Ghost. He's going to pour out His Spirit upon not just the Jews, but upon anybody that is hungry. I'm telling you, one of the best things you can do to get God to respond is you get good and hungry. You get good and hungry for the moving of His Spirit. You get good and hungry for His presence. You get so hungry for Him that you say, God, I don't want to leave here until I get something from You. That kind of hunger, that kind of passion gets God's attention. And it doesn't matter if they're on a college campus. It doesn't matter if they're in a work uh, break room. It doesn't matter if they're on a factory line. It doesn't matter if they're shopping for groceries at Aldi's or Kroger or Meyer or Walmart, wherever they It doesn't matter if they're pushing their cart back to the cart corral. If they get good and hungry for God, then God can pour out His Spirit. It doesn't matter if there's 120 of them crammed into a little upper room on the top floor of John Mark's mother's house. God can pour out His Spirit. And it's a bridge. This would be the Scripture that the Apostle Peter would refer to on the day of Pentecost as he's preaching. Joel said, and after this, it shall come to pass afterward. After what? After the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And Peter's preaching. 
He doesn't start his message at Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. He starts by preaching to them Jesus. This same Jesus that you have crucified. This same Jesus, he was God manifest in the flesh. You crucified the Lord of glory. They were pricked in their heart and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? It's the greatest question that man can ask. What must I do to be saved? Then Peter said unto them, it shall come to pass afterwards, after I get done preaching to you, Jesus. He said, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, this is that which was spoken up by the prophet Joel, saying, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. God wants people to have His Spirit. This scripture in the book of Joel bridges both testaments. It's a profound scripture. It speaks clearly of the future outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon the people of God. It holds prominence. It's got a position of power. It's got a position of, of, of uh, clarity when, as we discover what, what bridges the testaments. Okay, this is what they did then. This is how faith, obedience, and the blood were applied to their lives here. And then now, and I got so many directions I want to go right now. Then, then, we, then we've got the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And, and Joel was, was a bridge. What Joel preached was a bridge. And then we've got John the Baptist, who was a bridge. Now this, this just, this, I, I don't know if it tickles me, it just makes me excited. I don't know what it does, but but I get pumped up when I think about it, Sister Angie, that John the Baptist's father was a Levite. He was involved in the priesthood. He was involved in taking care of the house of God. Therefore, John the Baptist was a Levite. That was the Old Testament. That was the Old Covenant. That was the, In fact, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, was in the, the temple performing the work of the old covenant when the angel came to him and so by all accounts John the Baptist probably should have been in the temple but instead he was out in the wilderness he was still a priest he was still of Aaron's tribe he was still a Levite but now we've got another bridge between the testaments when he said I'm not the one but the one that comes after me he said I baptize you under baptism under repentance but he that comes after me is mightier than I whose shoe latches I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unloose he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire it's the bridge between the testaments it's the old testament levitical priesthood shouting of what's getting ready to come shouting that hey i know there's got to be a lamb for the sacrifice and i can see the lamb of god and i recognize him as the lamb of god because i'm a priesthood after the order of the levites and i know what has to happen and i know that he is the one that just gets me excited That's the scripture. Joel 2, 28, 29 is the scripture that's going to be used on the day of Pentecost. John the Baptist. And Jesus are both quoted in the New Testament prophesying of this coming outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 3, 11, John said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, 
whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. John's operating under that empowerment. I'm getting ahead of myself. He's operating under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells us that he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. He's got the same anointing in a different way as the old prophets did. But he's bridging. He's bridging. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John 7, 37 through 39. In the last day, that great day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was, a, it was a big to do. We're not, we're not teaching the night about the Feast of Tabernacles. But if we were, then you would realize that they would carry big barrels of water and they would dump it on the brazen altar. Dumping it on the brazen altar. Barrel after barrel after barrel. It symbolized hope for rain. Symbolized hope for blessing. As well as hope for the last day salvation. And so Jesus is looking at these guys carrying barrels of water. And he's saying, hey, if anybody's really thirsty, I mean, looking at those barrels of water being poured out on the ground probably made people thirsty. If anybody's really thirsty, you come follow me. And I'll give you water that'll let you never thirst again. He wasn't talking about the barrels of water. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive believing is not enough we could be talking about soteriology the study of salvation tonight belief is not enough but belief leads to action he said those that believe on me ought to receive the holy ghost they ought to receive the holy ghost but the holy ghost was not yet given because that jesus was not yet glorified he said, I want to give you living water. It's going to satisfy the deepest thirst that humanity has. And that deepest thirst is salvation. It is reconciliation with God. So what is the purpose of the Holy Ghost? There are three primary functions of the Holy Ghost. Service. Salvation and sanctification service the spirit enables it empowers to do miracles it empowers to prophesy it empowers for transfer the giving of signs and in general it validates the leaders of God's people when we study how the Holy Ghost operated or how the Spirit of God operated in the Old Testament it operated for empowerment it operated for empowerment they did not have the holy ghost like you and i have the holy ghost today but second peter chapter 2 i'm sorry second yeah second peter chapter 1 and verse 21 uh, peter describes what happened in the old testament when he says for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of god they were men of god who were devout they were seeking after God, and they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. 
but the Holy Ghost had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The sacrifice had not yet been made. But the Spirit of God would come upon the prophets of the Old Testament and it would empower them to write the Word of God. There were specific leaders in the, that are mentioned in the Bible, and we do have uh, Scripture references for these, but we didn't have room on the slide. So, actually, I lied. We did. Uh, as the Spirit of God came upon them, they're, they're noted. Joseph, Moses, 70 elders, Bezalel, even Balaam, the false prophet. Even Balaam was moved on by the Holy Ghost. Because God said he's going to try to curse my people, but I'm going to use my spirit to redirect him. I wonder what would have happened in his life if he'd have just lived in that redirection. Othniel, nephew of Caleb, the feeder of giants, winner of Hebron and Caleb's daughter, Samson, Saul, even Saul. Even Saul was moved on by the Holy Ghost. You see how God's not afraid of moving on imperfect people? God's not afraid of your imperfection. But what you have to do is you got to live in the redirection. Azariah, David, Solomon, and all kinds of other peoples. There, there were others. There were others that were moved on, but for sake of time, we're moving forward. There, there are characteristics that would appear when the Spirit of God would come upon leaders in the Old Testament. They would experience an increase of wisdom, strength, courage, anointed utterance, supernatural assistance. Samson picked up with the gates and marched off with the gates of the city on his back because of the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. David faced down giants. Joseph faced rejection by his family, but yet continued to dream. The term Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit is not used often in the Old Testament. In fact, I believe, I didn't write it down, but I believe it's only used three times in the Old Testament. Whereas the term Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit is used 86 times in the New Testament. So when it is used in the Old Testament, it, it signifies God's presence on specific people for a special empowerment to do the work of God. God wants His work to move forward. In the New Testament, the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit is used frequently, and it's still used to describe a special empowerment for the work of God. But then it takes on additional meaning that, are, that is not found in the Old Testament. That leads us to the second primary function of the Holy Ghost, and that's salvation. That is salvation. John chapter 14 and verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. He's talking to his disciples. He said, but you know him because he dwells with you. He said, you know him because he's talking to you. You know him because you can see him. 
You know him because you've heard him teach. You know him because you've seen him perform miracles. You know him because you've seen him open blinded eyes. You've seen him multiply the loaves and the fishes. You've seen him walk on water. He said, you know him because you've seen him. He's been with you, but he shall be in you. He said he shall be in you, but not like the physical form that you're seeing right now, but he will be in you. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He's telling his followers, he said, hey, right now, I'm comforting you with my physical presence. I'm comforting you because I am among you. But in the future, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to comfort you by my spirit. The comforter was also known as the spirit of truth. And Jesus had identified himself earlier in that chapter of John chapter 14 had identified himself as the way, the truth, and the life. The spirit of truth. He said, I am the spirit of truth. I'm with you, but I will be in you. With you, but I will be in you. So John the Baptist prophesied of the Holy Ghost coming. Jesus Christ prophesied of the Holy Ghost coming. The Old Testament prophets prophesied of the, of the coming of the Holy Ghost. Men such as John, Luke, and Paul all emphasize that the Holy Spirit infilling is linked to salvation and it's linked to becoming part of the kingdom of God. It's tied to the believer, that's you and I, participating in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, what did Jesus say about it, Pastor? Prove it to me scripturally. John chapter 3 and verse 3. I'm moving because I'm going to try to get done in 12 minutes. Jesus answered and said unto them, Unto him, Nicodemus, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. you got to be born again, or you can't see the kingdom of God. Well, but I feel the presence of God, and I'm so happy you do. I'm thankful you do, and I'm not trying to take away from that. I am not trying to take away from that. I'm glad that you feel the presence of God. But there's more. Nicodemus is the man that he's talking to. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He knows the law inside, outside, frontwards, backwards. He knows it. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, there's more. There's more. Nicodemus said, well, how in the world can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, verily, verily. It's a double emphasis. He said, Nicodemus, i got to get your attention. Verily, Verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We're not going to take time to qualify it tonight. You're just going to have to take my word for it. He said, no flesh can glory in my presence. So when you and I were born of our mothers, we were born of the flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, period. No flesh can glory in His presence. We cannot make it to heaven if we are only born after our flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so when we were born again by water in baptism, by spirit when the Holy Ghost enters into us, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Now you and I are able to then enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is making it clear that every individual must be born of the water and of the Spirit in order to be saved. That means it's salvific. 
It has salvific qualities, qualities tied to salvation. We see it in the book of Acts. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? They're asking that question. What do I have to do to be saved? He said, well, you got to repent. you got to be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more about repentance, then listen to the podcast from Sunday morning. We're going in depth. Last Sunday morning. You can listen to it tonight. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. It's like when you're baptized, like your sins never occurred. They are washed away, and your slate is made clean. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And, and we're not going to take time tonight, but we could show you in Scripture. I can show you in Scripture how every time somebody in the New Testament received the gift of the Holy Ghost, there was outward evidence. Remember the sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. You can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. You see the trees moving. You see the grass blowing across the driveway. Lord help us. You see the snow drifting. That's because the wind is catching it. And the wind is moving it. But you don't see the wind, you just see the effect. You can hear it howl around the corners of your house. And so when the wind, the breath of God, moves on the hearts of men and women and it fills us up, begin to hear the sound. Begin to hear the sound. There was a woman at Brother and Sister Chapman's church recently, the last several months, who was deaf and mute. I mean, she could not hear. She could not speak. And so they're interpreting in sign language. And she comes to the altar and she lifts her hands. And Sister Venables, God fills her with the Holy Ghost and she starts speaking in other tongues. That's a heavenly language that she did not learn. When she was done praying, she couldn't speak. But every time she prays, every time she speaks in tongues, it's audible. You can hear it. And so God's saying, hey, guess what? I can control that mouth. That there's no other way for you to speak unless you're talking to me. Jesus was the second man, Adam, and with his death, with his burial, with his resurrection, he has afforded the New Testament believer power over sin with the New Testament plan of salvation. That includes repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. His work on Calvary restores the spirits of willing men and women to spiritual life that was lost when sin entered the world. There are salvific qualities to the Holy Ghost. Romans 8, 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. But your body cannot be quickened at His second, uh, or I'm sorry, at the catching away of the church unless you've been filled with with His Spirit. The restoration of spiritual life is emphasized in that verse. Without the Holy Ghost, we can't receive salvation. Two verses prior to this, in Romans 8 and verse 9, it's made clear 
that if a believer has not received the infilling of the Holy Ghost, they are not the children of God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So why do you think Jesus, Jesus literally breathed on his disciples as he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. He tells them, you go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. If it wasn't a big deal, he wouldn't have made a big deal about it. But it is a big deal because he wants people to be saved. He wants them to experience heaven. And he wants us to have a taste of heaven while we are here on the earth. And so Jesus is emphasizing, hey, I'm glad you believe. I'm thankful. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. Faith is the first step, but it's not the last step. Faith will lead to repentance. Repentance will lead to baptism in Jesus' name. Baptism in Jesus' name will lead to the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Or I've seen people that get the Holy Ghost before they're baptized. You can have the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of the resurrected Christ. It's the source of new life for the believer. It's how we are delivered from being dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We can arise in newness of life. The Spirit-filled believer can now literally experience the Spirit of the resurrected Christ. Jesus Christ becomes their new Father and resurrects their human spirit in a way that has not been made available since the fall into sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. He had a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit because when sin entered, the living soul died. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Hallelujah. He's not Jehovah Junior. He was the Lord from heaven. And that's the spirit that you and I have living inside of us. It's more than a cute little prayer language, baby. It's the spirit of the living God needed for salvation that empowers me. The first man, the first us is earthly. Earthly. Then we can have His Spirit living on the inside of us. Well, I just don't believe. Well, if you don't believe by this point, I'm sorry. I just don't know if it's if it's really salvific. When you read in the book of Acts, there's a man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius is praying. It's not a man that comes to Cornelius. It's an angel. And the angel comes and he says, Corn. Your prayers have come up like a memorial. And you've been, you've been praying, and every time you're praying, it's like a stone has been added to a tower. A column. And now that, that column is built all the way up to heaven. Man, you think about all those prayers that you prayed before you had the Holy Ghost. What if it's the next one that you pray 
that's going to allow your eyes to be open. Stop praying. The angel of the Lord said, you send to Joppa. There's a man by there by the name of Simon Peter. Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's, he's dwelling at the house of one Simon the Tanner. He'll tell you what you have to do to be saved. Peter preached to him Jesus Christ. The infilling of the Holy Ghost. The necessity of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. The necessity of being baptized in Jesus' name. The Jews were astonished because on the Gentiles also was poured out the Holy Ghost. But the angel said, this isn't just some added bonus. This is how you want to be saved. Or this is because you want to be saved. So I'm going to tell you how to be saved. There are accompaniments of the Holy Ghost for the New Testament believer. I told you we're just scratching the surface. With the Holy Ghost for the New Testament believer comes healing, support, encouragement. It guides us. It comforts us. It protects us. It lifts us. It restores us. It renews us. It's a constant companion, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. It gives us wisdom. It's our deliverer. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as we stand and musicians come, I didn't make it to 45 minutes. I made it past that, and I've got one slide left, but we're going to hurry. Giving myself hope. Oh, it's 44 minutes and 57 seconds. I'm talking really quick. When you listen to this podcast, you're going to have to slow it down, not speed it up. Every spirit-filled believer is anointed and empowered to do the work of God. The empowering factor of the Holy Ghost did not end with the Old Testament. didn't end with the Old Testament. You say, well, well, I'm not called. You are called if you're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. You're empowered to do the work of God. Now every believer, every one of us, somebody say, every one of us. You ought to say, me too. Now we have access to revelation. We can hear from God. And what we hear from God's always going to line up with His Word. But we get to hear from God. We get to have a personal relationship with Him. So the Holy Ghost empowers. It saves. It empowers while it saves. But then the third one. Sanctification. The third primary function of the Holy Ghost in the life of the New Testament believer, that's you, that's me. It's sanctification. To sanctify is to set apart for holy uses only. For holy uses only. To dedicate to God. To make it holy. To make it sacred. We see it in the Old Testament with the holy place and the holiest of holies. That's the inner room of the Old Testament tabernacle or the Old Testament temple. It was set apart. It was off limits to that which was profane. It was off limits to that which was common. It was off limits to that which was unclean. 
it was off limits to that which was unsanctified. Let me go ahead and tell you, the apostle said, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, whose temple you are. You have been sanctified when you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. You've been marked. You've been set apart. You've been made holy. And God wants you to be used for only that which is holy. You ought to be off limits to that which is common, that which is profane, that which is unclean, that which is unsanctified. Say, well, my righteousness is like filthy rags. Yeah, Jeremiah was only empowered by the Holy Ghost. He wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. Your righteousness is like filthy rags, but when you've been repentant of your sins, baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, you've been made holy. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart. Israel was to be sanctified and holy as a result of being God's people. You can find it in Exodus 19 and verse 6. You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Let's give them some hope. Let's give them something upbeat. I'm sorry. He shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak to the children of Israel. You let them know you're a kingdom of priests. Now you and I as New Testament believers are set apart. Now we are off limits to that which is unclean. We are off limits to that which is unsanctified. We read it in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now you're the people of God. What's happened? You've been set apart. You hadn't obtained mercy, but now you've obtained mercy. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, as we've studied the Spirit of God, we understand that the Spirit of God equips us for service. It empowers us. It's involved in our salvation. It's involved in our sanctification. It's going to continually help us move away from the world. We're not going to be perfect overnight, but we're going to be empowered overnight. And so that means every day that I awake, every day I leave my home, every day I'm in my home, I can make a conscious decision. I'm going to move closer to God. That's sanctification. I'm moving forward because I'm part of the kingdom of priests. I'm in holy nation. I'm a peculiar treasure. I've been made to show forth His praises. The Holy Ghost wants to help us overcome the world. I wonder if we could make our way to the altar tonight. I wonder if we could ask God, God, I want you to help me be filled with the Holy Ghost again. God, if, I've, if you've been given the Holy Ghost, if you've received the gift of the Holy Ghost, then you ought to pray, God, fill me again. Fill me again. Fill me again. Fill me again. I want more of you.